We're going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and we'll begin our reading with verse 16. Praise God. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you. It is Bible study night, or at least a device that you could read the Bible from. I suppose that would be good enough this time. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, the Bible says, And behold, one came and said to Jesus, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? <laughs> Jesus said to his question, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man replied, saying, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and say thou hast, and give to the poor, thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, it records the same story. But there are a couple things I would like to point out. In verse 17, it says that the individual that came to Jesus came running to Jesus, kneeled before Jesus asked the question. In verse 22, 21, after Jesus told him what he needs to do as far as the Ten Commandments, and the man replied that he had done them since, since his youth, verse 21 of Mark 10 says, Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said, One thing thou lackest. Somebody say, What's missing? What's missing? That is the subject that I endeavor to speak from tonight, what's missing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your hand upon our lives. Thank you, Lord, for each person that is giving their heart and their ear to hear the word of the Lord. Lord, I want with all my heart to follow after the Spirit, to speak the words of life, to speak your word and not my own. I pray that you would lead me. I pray that I will carefully walk through this message and I will deliver the message of the Lord. I pray that we will receive it with meekness. I pray that we will be ready to obey it and put it into application in our lives. Lord, we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. The 
this man that came to Jesus in the day in which he lived prior to when the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus became available, we might say that when he came to Jesus, he was saved. He was saved. For his day and his time in which he lived and the moment that was recorded, the time in which it was recorded, he could say that he has checked the boxes. To make the comparison clear, if it was us today, you could check the box, repented, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Check, check, check. Done. Yet, we find that more is asked of this man as he pries a little deeper about what he needs to do to inherit or have life everlasting. It was what he was still lacking. Though he was, quote, saved, there was still something lacking. If he was to be perfect, if he was to be complete, if he was truly to follow Jesus, something still was missing. And I'll go ahead and, and, and tell you, it, it wasn't the man's money, the abundance or the lack thereof. It wasn't, it wasn't the fact that he needed to sell everything that he owned, give the proceeds to the poor. When we make the connection tonight to our lives, that is not what it is. But what it was, it was something that was in his life that was unsurrendered. That was something he did not, he was not willing to surrender to the plans and the purpose that the Savior had for his life. And because he refused to surrender it, he walked away sorrowful. Missed the opportunity to truly follow Jesus. You see, when people come to church, I'm talking to a group of people as I scan those here tonight, I'm talking to a group of people that for the most part, you've been in church for a little while. And maybe you've noticed that when we come into church, especially as an adult, often there are radical changes that take place in a fairly short amount of time. Let's make the comparison now with this man who was who is this rich, young ruler, ambitious and ready to follow Jesus when he came to Jesus? What must I do? The man said, what must I do? And Jesus replied with really the Ten Commandments. He said, listen, don't kill anyone. Don't murder. That one's pretty clear. The next one is don't commit adultery. Essentially, do not commit sexual sin. If you are having improper relationships with someone that should only be found within the marriage covenant, stop. Fornication, adultery, affairs, don't do that. 
Jesus says, don't steal. Don't take something that is not rightfully yours. Do not bear false witness. Don't be a liar. Don't say things that are untrue. Let your word be true. Honor your father and mother. Notice how honoring parents is put on the same plane of importance as not killing, not committing sexual sin, not stealing, not lying, and make sure you honor your parents. And then he summarizes and he says, listen, if I've missed anything, really what you need to be doing is you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Love people as you desire to be loved. Treat others as you desire to be treated. Now stay with me. Again, this man, to make the comparison, he checked all the boxes. He was saved. And to make the analogy clear for us, oftentimes when we, especially as adults, come to the Lord, we're born again of water and the Spirit, we repent of our sins, baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, what do we desire to do? We desire to change our lives, thus we repent. We say, Lord, we recognize and acknowledge that those things listed right here in this passage, murder and adultery and stealing and lying and dishonoring authority and not loving our neighbor, Lord, we want to change and we recognize that those things that we used to do that were just habits, bad habits, now we recognize them as bad habits, we will change them. How many will confess and acknowledge that your life, especially those of you that were saved as an adult, your life radically changed? Your life radically changed. The things you used to do, you didn't do anymore. You used to drink. You used to be an alcoholic. You used to do drugs. You used to smoke. You used to cuss. You used to do all sorts of things. You used to be a liar, a scoundrel. You used to do all sorts of things. You used to sleep around with people that were not your spouse. But when you came to the Lord and you repented of your sins, you made up your mind, I'm going to change. And those things that used to characterize your lifestyle no longer characterize your lifestyle anymore. It is probably, uh, probably one of the greatest privileges I have as a pastor to see people come to the Lord and to know what they were crazy and doomed for the nut house. I've known people that have come to church that have said, I'll never do that. I'll never dress that way. I'll never stop doing this. I'll never stop going there. I'll never stop being this. I'll never be that. And I've seen them time and time again swallow their pride, change their story, and give their life to Jesus Christ as a servant of him. And really, it is so rewarding to see those things but the reality is as many of you perhaps have noticed the radical changes usually take place within a short amount of time after someone is born again as it should but as time progresses it seems like there is less and less real or noticeable changes that take place Stay with me now. Oh, sure, we ought to get to a place where we are living for the Lord. We, we, we have decided to turn our back on all that is in the world, the desires of our flesh, the desires of our eye, the pride of life. We have made some radical changes, and yes, we ought to keep those changes. 
But has anybody ever hit a season in your walk with the Lord where you feel dry, you feel like, you know what, it's just become monotonous, it's just become routine, it's like, here we go, another Thursday night service again, here we go, another day, here we go, another time I've got to say no to my flesh, here we go, another prayer meeting, here we... And it's just become monotonous. And I have found that there is, there is this, this place that we have got to be careful with in our lives where we make these radical changes initially when we choose to follow the Lord. And then it's just like autopilot the rest of the way. Because you know what? We've got our golden ticket to the pearly gates. When is the last time that I felt led by God's Word, the preaching and teaching thereof perhaps, or the Spirit of God moving upon me to subtract something from my life or to add something to my life? When is the last time within recent memory that you, a child of God, some of you that have lived for the Lord for 10, 20, 30 years, or at least maybe even a year or two or three years, but somewhere along the line, the change has ceased in your life. When is the last time that God has moved upon my heart so strongly that I heard without question for Him calling me to subtract something from my life? Almost in the same way that he did when he first brought me into the church and I felt so unclean. I didn't even think I deserved to sit in a pew. I didn't deserve to go to the altar. I didn't deserve to receive the Holy Ghost or get baptized in his name. I didn't deserve that. I felt so unclean. I felt so dirty. And I knew that unless I got rid of those things, I couldn't keep living and couldn't keep going to church. But we got to be careful that we don't lull into this place, a spiritual slumber, that the change stops taking place. Things that God wants to subtract from your life and things that God wants to add to your life, His voice has become almost non-existent in that manner. I am calling you and I to step out on faith, to examine our lives, and to see what God is calling us to do right now. Can we hear the voice of the Lord? Perhaps there's few other verses quite like the one found in John where Jesus says, my sheep, they do know my voice. There's few other verses that so convict me, especially in my walk with the Lord. If I'm, if I'm claiming to be one of His in His flock, then do I really know His voice? Because Jesus said I should. I would. I would know His voice. Say with me now as we take a turn and Continue down this, this message. The Apostle Paul, he writes under the inspiration of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. He says, circumcision is nothing. Now these are strong words coming from the Apostle Paul to his audience and to the church of the first century. The church of the first century predominantly at the moment of Pentecost and up to Acts chapter 10 was predominantly all Jewish people. Jewish people who had lived according to the very letter of the law. And the covenant that God made with Abraham that would separate him and all that would come after him that were part of his family that would separate all, all others. One of the signs that God told Abraham to keep 
was the covenant of circumcision. That all the men, all the children that were born males were to be circumcised. And this was the sign of that covenant that God made with Abraham. So all of the Jewish race lived by this. On the eighth day, after a child was born that was a boy, he would be circumcised. And this was a big deal. You will find that there are debates and discussions that happen within the book of Acts, along with the epistles, of what they are to do about this. Because now we're having Gentiles, Greeks, we're having people that are coming into the church that are not Jewish people. And their men have not been circumcised. So how are we going to, how are we going to factor this? How, how are they going to come into this faith? How are they going to be called the people of God and they are not keeping what God told Abraham, our father of the faith, to keep? How is this going to be reconciled? And Paul, with a strong word, he says, circumcision is nothing. What? Like after 4,000 years, it's no big deal anymore? But then he goes on, he says, and uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God. He is making a case, and he does so throughout Galatians and 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 7. He makes a case of how, you know what, if you are uncircumcised and you become a Christian, you don't have to be circumcised there were Jewish Christians that were telling Gentile Christians that they must be circumcised or they were not saved. And Paul is saying, listen, that was something that God gave us for a season to lead us to the circumcision not made with hands, not of flesh, but of the heart that is made without hands. He says, listen, what that was leading to, the cutting away of the flesh, he said that was leading to the circumcision of the heart that is made through baptism when the flesh is washed clean and that thing that is in your life needs to be washed away. That is the circumcision that we must keep now. The circumcision of baptism. It is a spiritual circumcision. So what was done in the physical is now to be represented spiritually for the New Testament church. Say with me now. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 3, Watch this. Paul says, yet not even Titus. Galatians chapter 2 verse 3. Yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised. Even though he was a Greek. Paul says, listen, this young minister that's coming up, he's a church leader. And I didn't make him be circumcised. He's a church leader. But I did not compel him to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Now, I said all that to say this. We find in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 1. Acts, chapter 16, verse 1. We find in the book of Acts, it records that Paul, when he chose Timothy to go with him. Listen to what it says. Acts, chapter 16, verse 1. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, or Timothy, the son of a certain woman who was a Jewess. So his mother was a Jew and a believer, he says, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Now watch this, verse 3. Timothy, 
Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Paul says, listen, circumcision is nothing. We don't have to keep that, the, the law of circumcision anymore. As you come, as we have Gentile believers coming into the church that are men, they don't have to be circumcised in order to be saved. They need to take on the name of Jesus in baptism. They need to receive the spirit of adoption, but they do not need to keep the fleshly law of circumcision. He says that's not necessary. In fact, to prove the point, I didn't make Titus do it. But yet, in Acts chapter 16, we find that Paul compels and makes Timothy do it. An adult man, be circumcised. Stay with me now. Paul does this, and it seems strange. If, if he is going to argue against the necessity of cir circumcision, why then would he make Timothy, a church leader, be circumcised? He says, it's because of the Jews. Watch this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, he says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. He says, even though nobody owns me, nobody's name is on me, I don't owe anything to anyone, even though that's the case, I have chosen willfully to be a servant to anyone and everyone. Why? He says in verse 20, to the Jews, I'm willing to become like a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. And to them that are under the law still, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. The ones that are still keeping the law, like the law of circumcision, I'm willing to put myself under those things that are not necessary, but you know what, in order that I might reach them. To them that are without the law, those that are free from the law, then I'm like as one without the law. Being not though without the law of God. He says, listen, to the people that are outside of the law of God, never known the law of God, you know what? I'm going to find a way that I can relate to the sinners. I'm going to find a way that I can relate with people that have never known the Judaic law, that have known, never known the law that was given to Abraham or Moses. I'm going to become like them. But watch this. He says, up to a point. I'm still going to keep the law of God. I'm not going to go out and smoke with those and drink with those and party with those as though I'm not without the law of God. No, I'll still keep the law of God, but you better believe that I'm going to go to whatever length I can up to that point of the law of God for my life to reach and connect and be relevant to those that are without the law. He says, verse 22, hope I, I hope I could keep your attention tonight as I, as I bring this message to a culmination. In verse 22 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Can we even wrap our minds around the thought of this? As 21st century American Christians, can we even grasp this concept, this principle that Paul chose to live by and encourage among the first century Christians. The reality is that we live in a world and within a culture right now that is absolutely dominated by a mindset that makes decisions based on convenience. Does it fit with my schedule? Does it fit with my desires? Also, is it, is it pleasurable? Is it something that will bring me pleasure? What is in it for me? What will I get out of it? 
Is it going to help me live my best life now? My good life? Let me tell you the track to which this, uh, the, the, the end of the track that this, this road leads to. It, it leads to individuals making selfish decisions and they claim that things are their own body and it's their body and they can make whatever choices they want. Not valuing the unborn child that is within the womb. Why? Because it will be inconvenient for their time and life and their aspirations and desires. Because when you take God out of the equation, when you take him out of the equation as our creator, as our savior, human life becomes purely expendable based on our convenience and our pleasure and our desires and what we want and what we're shooting for and our goals. This is the world in which we live, church. We live in a place where self is king and selfies rule the day. But the sad thing is, it is also threatening to dominate Christianity and the preaching and teaching that go forth from its podiums and pulpits. Where pastors become more like life coaches that preach feel-good philosophy than the word of God that will cut to the heart and convict of sin. And we must be careful that here at the Refuge Church, we do not fall prey to 21st century American Christianity, Christian culture, where it says, you know what, what is in it for me? What will this message do for me today? What will this service do for me today? What will I get out of this service? How does this service make me feel? How do these songs make me feel? How does the message make me feel? If it doesn't make me feel good, if it doesn't fit my agenda, if it doesn't fit my schedule, then it's simply expendable. It's unnecessary. Why? Because I have been locked into a culture of self. And I'm telling you what's lacking is the unsurrendered parts of our life that say, God, I am not my own. I've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I claim to be filled with the Spirit. So let me then, therefore, walk after the spirit and not after the flesh this is something we've got to do daily this is something we've got to make up our minds on each and every day. That we pray each and every day, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, you must increase in my life, therefore I must decrease. And that doesn't just happen when I'm born again. It happens every day that I live and breathe on this planet earth. Till Christ be formed in me. I preached a message back at the end of April while we were still under the shelter-in-place order. And that message was entitled, When I Can, But I Don't. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, it says, this is the Apostle Paul again, he says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any of those things. In the Living Bible, it says it this way, I could do anything I want if Christ has not said no to it. But some of these things are not good for me. Even if I'm allowed to do them, I'll refuse if I think that it might get such a grip on my life that I cannot easily stop them when I want to. There was confusion among the Corinthian Christians about whether they could eat meat from an animal that had been sacrificed to false gods, to idols. 
And then the meat would be sold. That meat would be sold in the market. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is trying to give the church an answer and direction. When he says in verse 23, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. What he's saying is, you could certainly feel free to eat food that's offered to idols, if you want. It's not against God's law to eat such meat. But that doesn't mean that you should go ahead and do it. Just because it's not a big deal, just because it's not sin, doesn't mean it's okay to do. It may be perfectly legal, but it not, might not be the best and the most helpful. You see, I grew up going to church. I thank God nearly every day for my parents that trained me up in the way I should go. I've said this recently. And at one time in my life, I had an immature approach. When people might ask me why I didn't do certain things or wear certain things or go certain places, talk certain ways, I would say something like this. I can't because of my religion. Or this one's even better. I can't because my pastor said so. The reality is, is every one of us in this room can and have the potential to cuss, smoke, drink, and you could add whatever you want to that list. But at some point, you've got to respond that I don't do those things, not because of my religion, not because of my church, not because of my pastor, but I have chosen not to do those things because of how much I value my relationship with God, because of how much I esteem and respect the Lord who gave his life and blood for me. I choose not to live those ways. Because why did he die? Why did he die? He died because of my sin and the penalty for my sin. And if I could list the list of sin in my life for which he died, why would it make any sense at all to say that I love him but continue to do the things that caused him pain? But actually, the Apostle Paul, when he says we could do what we want, he's not talking about whether or not we could do sinful things. Are you still with me? Say amen. He's not talking about whether or not we could do sinful things. He was referring to the fact that within our Christian liberty that there are things that we can do because they're not immoral, they're not sinful, they're not evil, they're not wrong. Hear me now. There are things that you and I could do because, you know what, it's not going to send us to hell. We could eat meat that came from an animal sacrifice that was slaughtered and worshipped to false god. Why? Because we know that that is nothing but a stone image carved with men's hands. It has no authority. It has no power. But if my eating of that meat, Paul says, causes a fellow believer to be offended, it is better to refrain. It is better not to eat the meat. It might be grade A prime rib, thick, juicy prime rib, but you know what? 
if eating that would offend my brother in Christ who just was delivered out of that form of idolatry and used to worship in that very temple where those animals were sacrificed and he's still in, the, in, a, in a place in his faith where that is very sensitive to him, then why would I want to act so belligerent and do something that would weaken my brother that could cause him to relapse and go back to the temple to worship them? Why? The Apostle Paul writes on in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33, and I know I'm giving a lot of scripture, but it's Bible study night. He says, whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you're eating or drinking, whatever you're doing, do it for God's glory. Verse 32, he says, do not give offense by what you do. Whatever you say, whatever you do, whatever you drink or eat, make sure that it is not offending neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, they that may be saved, that they might be saved. Oh God. I want to recognize my Christian responsibility. I want to know what it means to grow up as a believer. It means not seeking my own good, but seeking the good of others. It means having that mind which was in Christ Jesus that thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself a servant and was obedient even unto the death of the cross. He was willing to sacrifice himself, not for himself, but for you and I and for others who are beneficiaries of the blood and the spirit of our God. And that is our leader. That's the captain. That's the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one who I claim to be following. You see, I'm not just checking the boxes anymore. I'm telling you, I want to do whatever he tells me to do. I want to get myself out of the way. And I want to follow Jesus Christ with a complete abandon of self that says, Lord, if it will prevent someone from entering those pearly gates, I'm wanting to take everyone I can with me and I'm willing to sacrifice whatever I must to see that happen. Praise God. Let me tell you how heavy this is. Let me tell you how heavy this is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, listen, if you want to just do whatever you want to do, because, you know, it's not sin. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a salvation issue. Hear me now. It won't send me to hell. He said, if you want to do whatever you want to do, because you think it won't send you to hell? He says, listen, loud and clear. He says in 1 Corinthians 8, 12, and through the knowledge, they, their knowledge, they cause a weaker brother to perish for whom Christ died. They know that they should not have participated or partook of that or did that, even though it wasn't sinful, but they know that that's going to cause someone to fall and to perish for whom Christ died. Listen carefully. He says, but when you sin so, when you sin in this way, he calls it sin, he says, when you sin in this way against the brethren, against the church, and wound their weak conscience, listen carefully, you sin 
against Christ. Those who by their example or influence lead another believer into sin or spiritual ruin sin not only against that person but also against Christ himself. Why? Because a great sin has been committed. The purpose for which Christ died is considered of little value in comparison when they put their own self-centeredness ahead of the plan and purpose of God. Some will say sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. Isaac, he asked his father on the way up the mountain, the fire is here and the wood is here, but where is the sacrifice? I wonder if that's the same question that's being asked today. Of us, where is the sacrifice? Where's the change? I know you made some radical changes when you first came into the church, but where's the change that has been made recently? Where's the sacrifice? Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's our reasonable service, church. To be willing to lay down things, not just sinful things, but every weight that so easily besets us. I asked last Thursday night, who wants revival? And I felt like there was a good hearty we do from the Refuge Church last Thursday. But sometimes we got to really get to where the rubber meets the road and we got to ask ourselves, what are we willing to do for revival? And while on one hand, yes, it's going to take prayer, it's going to take fasting, it's going to take getting serious about the Word, it's going to take inviting people to church and teaching Bible studies, but listen, on the other hand, it's going to take some self-sacrificing where it says, you know what, my convenience is not preeminent. What is my comfort zone is not preeminent. My, my preference is not what is preeminent. But I want to become all things to all men so that I might win some. Let me tell you just a couple hot button issues that could probably be, be applicable right now for, for where we're at. As I close this message, we have a presidential election. And I do believe with all my heart that I'm going to vote. And when I vote, I'm going to vote according to my morals. And there are certain issues that I I cannot change from. One of them I've already referenced earlier, it's about abortion. And I believe that human life begins at conception. But listen very carefully. We serve a God who is not a Democrat, and he is not a Republican. And it might come as a surprise to some of you, but one day, when you and I enter into those pearly gates, if we do, there may be people that enter those same gates that voted Democrat or voted Republican. And will you be able to live with that for eternity? You see, we're talking about non-salvation issues. Things that may not send you to hell. 
But you know what? If I become so staunch and so vocal about these things but remain sinfully silent about my Savior and about people's salvation, then I better be careful. Because listen, what I choose to do, whether it's on social media, especially on social media, what I choose to do in conversation or how I present myself, it is going to either help or hinder people being saved. You cannot separate them. And if you, listen, I know that it, it, it's called the big sort. We know people who think and act and vote like us. It's studied out. There's studies that show that basically we've all been sorted out and for mo the most part, we don't know anyone hardly that will not vote like us. You know why? Because you tend to be around people that think like you. But guess what? At the Refuge Church, we want to reach people that think like us and don't think like us. We want, we want to reach people that vote like us and don't vote like us. We want... What's going to happen when people come into this church that have been dragged through the gutters of society, that have questioned their identity, that have questioned their gender, that have been doped up and drugged out and... Listen, what are we going to do when the mess happens and they come through our doors? We could shout about church growth, but it gets messy, people. It gets messy, and we got to be willing to sacrifice ourselves and say, you know what, I'm going to do whatever is allowable within the love of God and the law of God to reach whosoever will. That is why this Sunday and perhaps any service from here on out, I want to try to do my best to wear my mask or be conscientious of people's social bubbles. You know why? Because, yes, I may go over your house. We may hang out. We may go out to eat and go without mask, and it's no big deal. We're familiar with each other. But you know what? I want people to walk through those doors that are that are so filled with fear because of something that the news is constantly advertising and promoting as this deadly virus. And you and I may have our opinions, but listen, it's not really about COVID. It's not really about a presidential election. It's about heaven. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about someone being born again of water and the spirit. It's about laying aside those things that are not salvation issues. Why? So that we do not sin against Christ. Stand to your feet if you would. We have got to make sure that we are making the main thing the main thing. And I will charge this church to be very, very careful. What you do or say or post does not ostracize people to such a degree. Listen, I know people. I'm connected to people that can say and post the most boneheaded, dumb, ignorant, stupid. You could list all of those words that are Christian cuss words. I know that. I know that. But I'll tell you right now, you will not see your pastor make a political post that will be extremely vocal about one politician or another, positive or negative. You will not see it. You know why? Because I care about souls for whom Jesus Christ bled and died. I may make posts about issues and moral issues. I, and, and, and those of you that know me, I don't post very often. If you're on social media, you know I don't post very often. You know why? Because there is a bunch of junk on social media. 
and you could get caught up so quickly. I have seen people, people that I love dearly, repost things that are not factually true whatsoever. But they saw someone post it, they saw some screenshot of someone who posted it, and they don't even know whether it's true or false. Are you kidding me? We have got to be more careful with our words, and I'm not just talking about the ones that come out of our mouth, the ones that come from our thumb. I'm serious about revival. And I want to get self out of the way. And I want to make sure I'm humbling myself. And I don't want to be guilty of sinning against Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you've done. Oh, Lord, you see, oh, Lord, each soul that is here tonight. Lord, I've laid my heart on the line and I've, I've, I've shared some things. Lord, I've put a lot out there, I know, Lord, here in the last five and ten minutes, and perhaps it's, it's caused some people to be upset or caused some people to be offended, but Lord, I'm, I'm doing my best to follow after the Spirit, to speak the Word of God, and to feed the flock of God so that we might be better positioned to reach the lost no matter who they are, what they look like or what they currently believe in. Lord, we want to point people to Jesus Christ. We want people to be pointed to the Savior who could take their life and transform them. Yes, they may be living in sin. Yes, their ideologies may be completely warped and philosophies perverted, but God, I don't need to build walls where bridges need to be built so that they could come to a watery grave and be baptized in your name and filled with your spirit. God, help the refuge church to be soul conscious. Lord, to mind the things that are not necessarily sinful, but they can add a weight and a hindrance towards reaching those people who are lost. Guide us, oh Lord, for it is what is lacking. It is what is lacking. We have checked all the boxes for salvation, but Lord, still there's something lacking. And Lord, we want to be completely surrendered, surrendering our riches, what we think is important, what we think is valuable what we think is treasure we want to surrender it and be willing to give it to those who do not deserve it in an effort to follow Jesus Christ just like you asked that rich young ruler oh but God help us not to walk away from this service sorrowful and sad in heart because we esteem our riches and what we can above the calling and the direction that you have for our lives tonight thank you Lord Thank you, Lord, for the church. Thank you for the Refuge Church because I know revival, revival, unprecedented is ahead of us. I know that we're going to see souls baptized in your name and filled with your spirit. I'm looking forward to this Sunday to seeing your spirit poured out in this place. We want to be ready. We want to be ready in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you. Please remember our announcements.